welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. I'm like sick, like hard to move, like sick. You got kid funk? Yeah, Bailey started it. I thought she was just having like a like fever and just lethargy after having her vaccines done. But then Connor got it. Oh. Oh, I guess this is a virus and not like vaccine aftermath or whatever. And then I got it and I was like, most definitely a virus. But Bailey was better after 24 hours. So I was like, cool, it'll be short lived, no big deal. Connor had it like Connor and I had the exact same symptoms and did the exact same things where like after two days, he was like, yeah, I feel better. And like he wanted to play and all that stuff. Didn't have a fever, felt fine. And then like that night he felt like garbage. And then I did the same thing Wednesday where like we did a lot of running around because I thought I felt better. Like, so we were just getting the last of the school Mm. supplies. We did go to the doctor on Wednesday, both him and I, um, and we got like cleared. And then like Wednesday night, I busted out with a high fever again and like, was like running around all day (laughs) like oh man oh that's right because this was the first week back to school right yeah so they on thursday but they got but they got sick before they went back yes oh man that's annoying (laughs) yeah so the last other summer vacation was spent just being sick Oh, oh, oh. now Connor's on antibiotics for an ear infection and oh no I feel like it's way too early for that it's August yeah I yeah I'm not surprised the whole reason why I took him to the doctor was because like he had been complaining about his ears hurting while he was sick and then like the day that we went to the doctor he's like no I'm I'm fine my ear doesn't hurt anymore no big deal I was like, I don't know, dude, you always get ear infections after you get sick. Like, I don't want to chance it. And then come Friday, you're like, my ear hurts. And like, then Mm. you have fever again and can't get into the doctor. And thankfully I did because he definitely had an ear infection. So Um, bummer. Yeah. Yeah. I was also the kid that always got ear infections. I was also the adult that constantly gets ear infections. So I I, I understand. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, me too. Which is why I went to the doctor because like I originally scheduled the appointment for ear pain. And then like Ugh. that away. And then like, I didn't cancel it because I was like, well, I'm sick now. So I might as well just go and make sure everything's okay. Cause of like my lupus and stuff. I was like, I don't, you don't, don't need a flare again. And like my joints hurt and like my lungs bad for coughing. And so I was just like, I'm just going to be safe. And like everything checked out fine. It was fine. Ugh. That's annoying. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's all right. I worked from bed on Monday and Tuesday and it's funny because my boss was like why are you still working right now I was like one I can do it in bed I was like and nobody cares I was like like, it's been a couple of weeks since we've had these meetings or whatever and so like I feel I feel bad if we like canceled it again yeah um, when I could just do it from bed and so like luckily after the meetings they're like all right just log off and like go to sleep I was like thank god thanks Yeah, yeah, it's like this weird double-edged sword working from home because you're like, oh, I'm not going to infect anybody, so I may as well work. But then you get to the point where you're like, yeah, I can't anymore. Like, my brain is obviously not fully functioning. No, no, no. My yeah. brain definitely wasn't fully functioning. And, like, luckily it was, like, a little bit slower than, like, what I heard the rest of the week was. So oh, was like, no! Yeah. Oh, dang, that sucks. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 still dealing with my leg. It's been over a month now. It's been like this back and forth thing. I mean, it's still it like it looks better, but it's it's still a thing. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Nothing in the human world seems to move very quickly cuz like my AC is still oh. broken upstairs. Oh, really? Still? Yeah. It's been over a month. Oh my god. I finally got approval yesterday. I had to give verbal approval for like what my out-of-pocket costs were going to be. And so um, we're, I'm hoping that we'll have an AC in, unit in by 
next week hopefully we have to have the inside and outside units repaired so or like replaced so oh i'm sorry air conditioners i mean at least it's getting replaced under a warranty like i can't complain yeah no that's true i'm very very jealous of that (laughs) yeah like it might be going slowly but i'm not paying 10 grand so yeah 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 i'll I'll take it (laughs) uh I know. Yeah. Adulting. Adulting is annoying. It really is. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Uh, But on good adulting notes, uh, both of us had birthdays and we survived. Yeah, nothing like getting sick right after you turn like older. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, that's so funny. Uh, I know it's so funny because my friends and family they're like well what do you want to do for your birthday and I'm like I it don't I don't care <laughs> I was like whatever it's fine oh <laughs> uh, yeah birthdays but yeah happy birthday Jordan happy birthday Yvonne it was riveting this year <sighs> right oh my god so true um trying to think of what else let's see oh yeah i spoke at uh the uc conti symposium last weekend it's kind of what i did for my birthday which is pretty funny actually that i'd go speak at a conference for my birthday um but it was fun because we were in southern california so we got to enjoy the weather down there um it was really nice it was sunny out it's a little humid, but not like Austin humid. So it was okay. <laughs> Especially because we were like along the beach. Um, so we we did that. And my, and my husband and I, we totally geeked out because we were in Newport Beach and kind of Long Beach area. Um, and um, if you're a Netflix binger, you'll understand this. Um, we drove by the Oppenheimer group and we totally dorked out for a hot, a hot second um yeah so there was that we tried to take a picture while we were driving um it didn't really turn out like you saw a blur in the background and I was like well (laughs) I'm not getting out of the car to get a picture for this because you know I'm not that ridiculous just mildly ridiculous so if you know you know if you don't know not a big deal anyways I'm pretty sure Jordan doesn't know (laughs) it's just it's like a reality show it's ridiculous it's real estate and it's very dramatic um it's kind of like watching a car wreck and you're just like sweet this is gonna be amazing but yeah nice yeah so (laughs) so that was that was our weekend that was the highlight of our weekend was driving by their place but yeah we um we had fun it was really ridiculous though because everywhere had valet parking because there's no parking anywhere um and it's it's a total different kind of bougie compared to up here up here it's like tech bougie down there it's i don't even know what kind of bougie like hollywood bougie and we were just like oh we don't fit in at all down here right so so yeah we were like yeah this is not where we're moving Plus, we can't afford it. It's even more expensive down there than up here. So, which I can't even imagine, but it is. So, yeah, so that was our weekend. Yep. Yeah. Um. So this week, um, last week we talked about Parvo, right? Yeah, Canine yeah. Parvo. I re- I learned so much last week. I, I know. Re-learned so much. <laughs> it's so funny because I did learn a lot while doing well both last week and this week which is hilarious actually um you'd think i'd know more about this because they're so common and everybody knows about them but it was just interesting the problem is like that we've been out of general practice so long that like yeah but some of this stuff isn't things that you really think of even in general practice like the history of it how you know none of that stuff stuff we really deal with we deal with treatments but and diagnostics but i don't you know i don't go oh anyways we'll get into it (laughs) so uh so this week we're talking um feline panleukopenia 
which is also known as feline parvovirus or feline distemper, which I thought was interesting that it kind of, they're related. Um, Interestingly enough, feline panleukopenia, uh, they first kind of described it and recognized it in 1928 in France, which I thought was kind of interesting because I know we talked last week about Parvo and I think, what was it? The seventies or something like that? Yeah. It was like a solid 50 years later, (laughs) Yeah, which is kind of crazy. So, um, we kind of, we kind of touched on it a little bit last week. Um, so panleukopenia, feline panleukopenia, it is related, um, to canine parvovirus. Um, so this is the feline parvovirus, um, it's not the exact same one as canine parvo and distemper, but it's related. It's also interestingly related to um, a mink enteritis virus, which I thought was interesting. Um, and it's um, it's related to the type 2 canine parvovirus, which we talked about the parvovirus 1 and 2 last week because mm-hmm. Jordan found that information out. So the interesting thing about all of these um, parvovirusi, I guess, um, they're they're kind of they're designated as a carnivore protoparvovirus one. So all of them kind of fall into this category, which I thought was interesting. Um, feline uh, panleukopenia can cause disease in all felids so domestic and wild cats foxes mink raccoons um, which i thought was interesting um but the feline panluke doesn't affect dogs so interesting it's kind of interesting um why it's called feline panluke but i mean like yeah i mean they're related but yeah. Um, it's funny when the obvious is almost so obvious that you miss it. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, oh yeah, duh. <laughs> yeah. Um. So it's interesting because the canine parvovirus. So the different strains that we talked about them yesterday, or yesterday, yesterday last week. <laughs> it was last week. It was definitely not yesterday. It feels like yesterday. Um, so the CPV 2A, 2B, and 2C, they have been shown to cause feline panleukopenia in domestic cats and, and larger felids. So that's kind of interesting that it doesn't go the other way around, but I think because canine parvo is related to it, that's why cats can get yeah. infected with it versus the other way around. But interesting. Yeah. Because it's suspected that it morphed from the feline. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I want to um, call it the feline parvovirus, but that's not what it is. <laughs> I mean, it is. It, it it technically is, right? Like, it's, it is interchangeable when I was looking this up. Um, and by the way, I should actually say this. So the three resources that I used the most was Merck Manual, because I love Merck Manual Online. Um, the AVMA had a really good resource for, um, Panluke. And then I found this really interesting article. I bet you Cornell has has some solid information too. Well, yeah, I, funny, I did not look there and I should have. The other source, the third source is, it's from the Canine and Feline Infectious Disease, um, book. And it's, I'm pretty sure it's a full chapter on it. Um, it's called feline panleukopenia virus infection and other viral enterotides. And it's actually, I, I found it really interesting to read because there's a lot of statistics and stuff in there. Um, so, so those three are kind of the big three that, that I used, but really that, that article, and we'll put the link in the show notes, um, or that chapter, I guess I should say, uh, it was, it was really good. Um, find it some of your information here that i mean like so we know that the feline parvovirus is dominant over the canine parvovirus because it's thought that the canine parvovirus comes from the feline parvovirus mm-hmm. um but vaccines that contain the feline parvovirus uh protect cats against this disease right um but also protect them against 
disease caused by the canine parvovirus, which is interesting. To, it makes sense, like when you think about it, but yeah. like because where the vaccine comes from, it obviously comes from the virus itself. So it makes sense, but it's just like, it's interesting. Science is interesting. Yeah, I it well, and I think too, like depending on which strains are used and if it's a live versus a modified live, and blah, 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 there was like a whole section about that that I didn't even go into. But um, I feel like vaccines is like a whole subject that we can get someone smarter than us to talk about at some oh, point. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was funny. I was like, I was reading all this stuff and I was like staring at the kittens that are in my she shack. Um, they're kicked out at the moment because they were causing a ruckus. But I was like, oh, God, I need to get you guys in. Because I was like, please, please don't get this. Because it sounds horrible. Sounds horrible. Um, it's like peanut parvovirus. <laughs> yeah, I was like, ah. Um, so it, the, the virus itself um, sheds through urine, stool, and nasal secretions. Um, those are kind of the big places that, that the infections come from. Um, it even said that the, the fleas from infected cats can infect other cats. That so, is my that's I know. My I was like, wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> um, the other thing that is also mind-blowing, um, depending on how they shed this virus, because like if it's nasal secretions and stuff like that, it tends to be much shorter. So that's like maybe two, three days kind of thing. Feces can shed as much as six weeks after recovery. I know we talked about that last time with Parvo that even though that was they feel weeks. better, <laughs> you got two yeah. weeks. But this is potentially up to six weeks, which that's... is crazy. I was Dang like, I was got to make things difficult. I, know. I was like, what? And here's the other thing that blew my mind. So kittens infected in utero, um, they do develop immune intolerance to the virus. Um, And this virus can persist in the kidneys and lungs for up to a year, even without shedding. So they can still have the virus in them, (laughs) but they're not shedding it, which is mind-blowing. Anyways... (laughs) Um, the I other thing more prevalent in those kittens that are like failure to thrives and like, because like maybe while they're building like immune to- tolerance to it, like it's still like putting a strain on their immune system. Oh, for sure. Well, you and, it, and it, you know, this is also that whole cerebellar hypoplasia thing too. Like we, it, I put that down here somewhere. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, the other thing too, like once the virus is in the environment, very similar to canine parvovirus, um, it can survive up to a year in the environment. So you can actually get a cat that has never seen another cat. Maybe the cat died a year ago from um, panleukopenia and they can get, inf- like the new cats can get infected. So bedding, cages, food dishes, um, hands, clothing, anything that's handled an infected cat could harbor the virus. Um, So that's why it's really important to isolate any infected cats. Um, Any material that they've come into really just need to have proper hygiene to prevent spread of infection. Um, they, They kind of also talked about, obviously, when you have higher populations of cats together so like feral colonies or mm-hmm. catteries you're going to be at a higher risk of panleukopenia the nice thing is like with vaccine practice though um it really has cut down the incidence of panleuk which is great um but you're still going to have like these little pockets where it's prevalent unfortunately and interestingly enough i didn't realize this but in Australia, there's actually this reemergence of the disease that so they're having like 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 almost an outbreak, but it's like becoming worse, again. more prevalent. Yeah. yeah, and I and I kind of understand that, especially if you've got like a feral population, right? And yeah. it's in the environment for a year. And I think of Australia, and it seems like a very big environment. 
<laughs> so I can just picture it's going to be hard to eradicate it without proper vaccination. So all of our friends in I'm, Australia, you get to have um, client communication about vaccination. Learning about uh, like how Australia handles like strays and stuff like that. So I work with an Australian veterinarian who does like work for spay neuter clinics and like mm. uh, shelters and stuff. And like the way they handle it down there is mind blowing and like amazing. And um, I kind of wish our shelter medicine here in the U S would, learn how but so like they get government assistance to pay for things right when it comes to shelter medicine versus the u.s just doesn't really like not not great that's for sure yeah like it would they they have it better than we have it i wouldn't say like they have it good because obviously it's still tough for sure but like it's crazy yeah Um, with these cats, there's a lot of times there's co-infections of other GI diseases. So coronavirus, Clostridium, Salmonella, um, FELV, and then I don't even know what an astrovirus is, but apparently astroviruses, I'm like, it's a virus. One of the viruses. Probably if I Googled it, I'd be like, oh yeah, that virus. (laughs) So yeah. I mean, makes sense because their immune system's already going to be weakened. Um, yeah, and they're kittens, right? Like, so they probably before getting like dewormed and vaccinated, because that's the thing. A lot of these are like younger animals that that don't have vaccines on board that are getting inf- yeah. infected, which or feral animals. Um, so, so the way this virus kind of works is usually kind of in the beginning, it replicates in oropharyngeal lymphoid tissue, and then it disseminates um, in the blood to all the other tissues that it infects. Um, It can cause lymphoid tissue necrosis, which sounds horrible and probably seems very painful. Um, You get infection of the bone marrow and that's where you get the leukopenia from then we've got uh, neutrophil sequestration in the GI because the GI is damaged. Um, so the neutrophils are trying to repair that because um, if you remember from immunology, a huge portion of our immune system is in our guts. Mm-hmm. Um, so the virus replicates in the intestinal crypts, uh, epithelial cells. It makes the villi shortened so that decreases the amount of surface area that nutrients can get absorbed it increases Mm -hmm. intestinal permeability causes all sorts of havoc in the guts yay so similar to the canine part of a virus yeah 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 Yeah. it kind of works very similarly exactly um it incubates in about two to ten days um where and then the there are some cases that the the patient just dies um and they don't see before the signs yeah. yeah like they don't really show the signs that we expect and so yeah like jordan was saying this these could very well be some of our failure to thrive kittens um infected kittens and cats usually have fever lethargy vocalization weakness inappetence um, they can have profound dehydration, vomiting, watery hemorrhagic stools, rapid weight loss. Sounds like a failure to thrive. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, some cats, though, if their immune system's working a little better, maybe they just are a little bit reluctant to eat. They're a little lethargic. They may not even have vomiting, diarrhea, or leukopenia. So these could be like those weird... I don't know what's going on with them and their immune system's working. They're fighting off the disease, but, um, you know, they still might be infected. Yeah. And very similar to the canine parvovirus, like we talked about last week, they can develop secondary bacterial infections. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this tends to be where like we notice the signs of disease Um, and then death can occur obviously too, usually resulting from like, or relating to dehydration, electrolyte imbalances, hypoglycemia, just complications from the disease itself. Mm -hmm. Um, they can also have hemorrhage, uh, which is crazy to me, but like not, 
I understand <laughs> why. Well, yeah, because I think it. I, I we talk about it in the CBC kind of blood work section, but it's it's not just white blood cells, but also um, platelets, which makes sense if it's attacking the bone marrow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so not only are the guts like mad, but they also are low on platelets. So it's like this One double your- shot. <laughs> And if you remember from last week, like when this virus attacks the bone marrow, it like makes it so it can't re- reproduce like the cells that I are know. being destroyed. No. So <laughs> yeah. it, it's, it's awful. So yeah. So, you know, there's, there's this whole subset too of um, queens. So when they are pregnant, right, uh, they the developing fetus or the neonate, like mom may not show a lot of signs, but um, it can replicate in a variety of different tissues during gestation. So we can see abortion, congenital abnormalities, or even infertility um, if it's early in the pregnancy. Um, and, and that, and like, otherwise mom could just like not even show any signs, which is kind of crazy later in pregnancy, um, or for neonates that are up to about a week old, um, we can get these, these issues in the cerebellar. Um, so in the, that, that leads to cell cerebellar hypoplasia. So if you've ever seen those kittens, um, this is late pregnancy or within that first week of age, that our brain is actually affected and and causes problems with cerebellar hypoplasia. um, It's funny. Hold on. (laughs) Sorry. It's not funny. It sucks. Um, But like, so there's viral destruction of the Purkinje cells. Like I haven't heard of Purkinje cells since tech school. Like (laughs) I read it and I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) Right. And I'm like Purkinje cells. Like to me, that's, that's the heart, right? That's what I think of, but like, and it's talking about the brain and I'm like, I don't know what, maybe it's both. I just remember it from tech school. And like, I remember (laughs) the word, but like, I couldn't tell you anything else about it. Yeah. Um, so, so these kids, they develop the neurologic signs. Um, and we notice it the most at like that two to three weeks of age when they're starting to walk and try to eat and, and we're like, Oh, they're developmentally abnormal. So there can be other congenital abnormalities, but without, you know, special testing, we're not going to know what it is. Um, Interestingly enough, once the damage is done, it's not like it progresses and gets worse. Mm-hmm. Um, it stays the same, and some patients can have minimal improvement of signs depending on what it is. So that's kind of a crazy thing. But it is insane to me <laughs> all the things that can happen <laughs> with panleukopenia. <laughs> Yeah, I think of those like random neurologic kittens that like just are funky yeah. and like walk funky but then live a normal life. I'm like, oh man, those must be pamlet kittens. Well, and it's it's crazy because like as as I'm reading like how to diagnose this, we don't have great diagnostics. No. Most of it is just based on clinical signs. Which is crazy because we have semi-solid diagnostics for canine parvovirus, but feline parvovirus was here first. Like, I don't... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Blown. Which, I mean, like, I've used the canine parvovirus test kit in felines, like, and yes. it works, but, like, yeah. it's not... So, the, we'll talk about it in diagnostics, but um, it's interesting because if you have a positive, it's positive. If you have a negative, it could still be positive. Like, dang it, those false negatives. So, um, so basically like the ways that it presents, obviously, you know, younger animals are going to be more at risk. Um, so young kittens, median age of this is about four months old and it tends to be unvaccinated animals. Mm -hmm. Um, there are some animals that are vaccinated that can be, um, they can be affected, but they think that it's like maybe like they're they haven't had their full set yet of vaccines, mm-hmm. and so there's like the maternal antibodies that might be messing with it. Um, 
And it's one of those things that if the cats have never got a booster after 12 weeks of age, those are the ones that tend to be the ones that if they've been vaccinated, potentially get this. Um, And then the other, obviously the other subset is those um, immune compromised animals, right? Like anytime you've got immune compromised, (laughs) you can get anything. So, you know, be careful. Um, yeah, yep. Kennels, pet shops, animal shelters, unvaccinated feral cat colonies, and other large housed cats together. Those are going to be your reservoirs for Panluke, which totally makes sense. Um, and when we're talking to clients about history, find out about vaccines. Hopefully yep. they got vaccinated. <sighs> Yeah. Differential <laughs> diagnosis list for this is great because it's going to be everything it's, because it's going to be everything. Uh, it could be toxins, GI foreign body parasites, uh, especially things like Giardia and then bacterial infections of the gut, like salmonella, pancreatitis, inflammatory bowel disease. Then of course, too, we can have, <laughs> depending on the signs, congenital, like CSF, uh, CNS signs. And then, so of course, like I'm not going to get into neuro differentials, but like neuro. (laughs) Right. I was like, neuro. Um, Yeah. All the congenitals versus like, is it rabies versus. (laughs) Throw FIP on there as well as line leukemia as well as. (laughs) You know, um, the workup. (laughs) Yeah. The workup. Yeah. Tox. Well, I already said toxins. Never mind. Yeah. Um. So for making diagnostics or diagnosis. So again, this is really annoying because we don't have like the one thing that, that says, yep, this is it. Um, so I, you know, we've started calling it this, but it's the, I am special. (laughs) So CBC, um, chemistry, electrolytes, um, the, you know, get those basics, check to see where we're at. The most common thing we'll see with a CBC is going to be um, panleukopenia. Um, or sorry, the most common thing that we're going to see with a CBC is leukopenia. So this is, um, we've got some neutropenia and lymphopenia. Um, and then you'll see some toxic neutrophils, all that fun business. Um, but we can also see um, thrombocytopenia and mild anemia, just depending on how bad, you know, things get, um, that could be because we've got damage to our bone marrow, or we could have DIC going on with these kids. Cause again, there's so much going on in these patients that, you know, there's no homeostasis. Things get out of whack. For sure. Yes. Um, we've got our, okay, I'm sure too, that we can see elevated liver enzymes as yeah. well because of, well, based off last week's episode, like, <laughs> right? <laughs> the liver's working overtime trying to eat these cells that have been destroyed, right? Like, yeah, yep. it's just, oh. yeah. So we'll see abnormalities in albumin. So we'll have low albumin, low um, globulins, low cholesterol. We'll have low sodium or even high sodium. We'll have low chlorides, high cal. Um, potassium occasionally we'll see a low potassium patient kind of just depending acid base abnormalities which is great um and azotemia or hyperbilirubinemia um and then glucose glucose could be their high or low (laughs) super awesome it's like glucose is just weird it could go either way that's super helpful chemistry i know i was like oh okay and that's the thing right like there isn't that one thing that just says look it's pan loop like you have to do all this stuff it's the diagnosis of everything else like (laughs) but even like with the chemistry you're not ruling out much if all that stuff is wrong on it like (laughs) right as far as like imaging um imaging it's you uh, so we're doing like an x-ray to rule out a foreign body basically 
with it with an x-ray on these kids we could lose um cirrhosal detail we can see fluid or gas filled gi tract i mean that's kind of that's what we're gonna see that's it like it's not anything super definitive which can um, be hard though because like in cats like especially kittens or yep. like puppies like young animals like you already have that like hard to see cirrhosal <laughs> detail anyway right. because they have that normal fluid like so it's it's yep. normal for puppies and kittens but abnormal in these situations like it's just it's just hard yep and then you can do an mri if you've got neurologic signs but i mean i don't know i think an mri to me isn't well obviously isn't in that acute stage to me the mri is like okay they've gotten through the acute stage now we need to figure out what's going on you know is it you know, is it something like cerebellar hypoplasia? Is it hydrocephalus? Is it those other brain things that we're not good at? (laughs) Like other abnormalities. So that's usually not during the acute phase. We kind of touched on this already. So um, an ELISA fecal test, the canine parvovirus test. So if it's positive, you could be like, yes, this is what we have. Um, but again, if it's negative, we can't rule out panleukopenia, unfortunately. We can do PCR on fecal or tissues, but the problem is you can get false negatives. Again, annoying. And they're not sure if like if they've had a vaccine, if that'll affect the PCR. So that's helpful. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's something called the fecal, fecal electron microscopy that apparently can work, but it's like not super available, slow and expensive. And there's other weird random, like laboratory, like lab research type stuff that they were talking about that I'm like, well, we're never doing that. So I'm not even going to discuss it. Yeah. Um, and then serology. Um, so again, we're looking for the antibodies, um, for panleukopenia, And that's more for like, do we need to vaccinate versus, you know, do we have a diagnosis? So lame. And then necropsy, which is also, yeah, I was like, uh, it's also not a hundred percent, but you get more pieces of a puzzle to put together, which is sad. That was just depressing. Um, Uh, leads us into treatment which i'm before i even read this i'm certain it has it's definitely geared towards supportive care because that's what it was (laughs) yep (laughs) and because like if it takes if if you can't really get a diagnosis plus it's a virus like we can't treat viruses like yeah we want to so yeah which is interesting because there was no mention of like antivirals in the treatments which I don't, I've never I don't... heard of antivirals being used in kitties, but I know that there is that, I think it's newer because it wasn't really around when I was in, G, in GP, but like for uh feline immunodeficiency virus. Mm, yeah. So I wonder if at some point they'll study that for the use of this virus too, but I don't know. That one seems pretty specific for FIV. Yeah. So I was just looking over here at the Merck manual. And they were talking about recombinant feline interferon omega, which I think is the one we've talked about previously that could be considered, um, but it's not approved by the FDA. So again, it's off-label and it's been effective for treatment for canine parvo. So the the idea is, you know, is it something that we could use in these, in these kiddos or doing a passive immunotherapy? So getting an animal that has, you know, higher titers for Panluc and giving some some plasma or some serum. I think it's just plasma um, to them to kind of help treat. Yeah. It's so. so it's so hard to say versus like our normal treatment includes obviously like it's going to be supportive care, but it's going to yep. be fluid therapy. Uh, trying to maintain those glucose and potassium levels. So with electrolyte supplementation as well, we're going to do antimicrobial therapy because they have a, a higher incidence of having bacterial overgrowth and getting bacterial infections and of the gut. Uh, 
yeah, we're going to do antiemetics, uh, and then sometimes immunotherapy. So sometimes we try to just do the, the immune support, mm-hmm. um, and deworming because a lot of these yeah. kids are going to have secondary infections. I mean, they're kittens. Kittens always have well, this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that and you're trying to cover your bases too, right? Right. Because we're not going to get a definitive diagnosis right away either. So we're covering our bases. Well, yeah, I was going to say, and just the, the incidence of like co-infection, right, is, is high. So may as well just make sure that's not going to still be an issue. (laughs) Yeah. But similarly to dogs, if cats can survive the first five days, they tend to recover. Uh, It's just getting through that first five days. That's the tough part. Uh, but of course there's going to be poor prognostic indicators as well. So things like, um, low white blood cells and low platelet counts are going to be poor prognostic indicators. There was studies that showed that white blood cells that were less than a thousand were twice as likely to die versus if they were greater than 2,500. Yeah. Which is crazy. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like tank your white blood cells. Like there's what, what else can you do? Uh, total leukopenia was correlated with a higher mortality rate, uh, low albumin and low, uh, potassium levels showed an increase mortality rate and then cerebellar signs. So, I I mean, when the, when the doctors are talking to clients, that's going to be those things that are going to be more indicative. Like, are these cats going to survive? Which is you know, it's again, it's, it's that whole, like, how sick are they? Like, do they have white blood cells? <laughs> Cause if they don't, they can't fight off those infections, which are gonna happen. Um, yeah. and as far as like the bummer, because they're kittens. So it's yeah. like, it's already, it's already hard for them, let alone a virus that like sits in your bone marrow going, nope, no white blood cells right. for you. <laughs> no white blood cells. And let me destroy your gut lining. It's fine. Nobody will. Nobody well, that will and ultimately too, like it's different with cats versus dogs too, right? Like when people adopt a puppy, do they expect to treat Parvo and go through all this? No, but like it's cats almost have it where they're like, well, someone picks them up off the street and they're like, I don't, I can't afford to do all this. I just picked this cat up off the street. I was just trying to help, you know? So it's almost like a double whammy because like, I feel like, and this might just be me being judgmental, but like, and nothing against cat owners, but I feel like there's a lot more incidences of people not expecting to pay for medical care with kittens. Oh, a hundred percent agree with that as it is with dogs because they just find them on the street and they don't you know oh that's the neighborhood cat yeah and and i think i think it's changing um sure but i think but yes you're right like i think the human animal bond component of dogs versus cats are are different you know and i think that's because dogs have been domesticated for way more and you know (laughs) Dogs have owners, cats have servants, that whole thing. It's fine. Yeah. 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 I do agree with you, though, that it does seem to be changing. People are definitely becoming more cat people. And that, I mean, that's even like we've seen it in like the veterinary industry, right? Like there's more focus on understanding cats being painful and, you know, yeah. trying to figure, figure out how to treat them better. And I think that's, it's twofold, right? It's having clients that are willing to, treat their cats like members of their family um and us figuring it it out too yeah it's been going on forever people vaccinating their cats kittens and then them never seeing the vet ever again for their lives yeah and i feel i feel like that's changing people are actually vaccinating their cats every year Mm -hmm. Um, or just taking them in for like preventative like blood work and healthcare and and stuff like that kind of like dogs do (laughs) But I wonder if that's where the rise like in Australia is. It's like where now it's like uh, playing catch up because of all the years of people not vaccinating their cats and things mm, like that. Maybe. And so now now the world is trying to play catch up and like vaccinating their cats and doing that normal maintenance of care for their cats every year. It's just it's just interesting. Yeah. And you know, I I wonder too because it's I wonder if, um, 
we're I, I wonder if we're gonna see a bigger outbreak in other areas once we start realizing what it is too. Because I think that's another part of it is like there is no specific diagnostic test for it. Um, So I wonder if these are cats that just are like, I don't know what happened to them. They just died. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a failure to thrive kitten. Like, yes, a failure to thrive kitten. Like, but that's not a true diagnosis. That's just a what happened. (laughs) So, you know, I, I wonder... I do wonder like how many of these, you know, failure to thrives are not just pan loop, but some of these other diseases that we've been talking about. So oh, a thousand um, percent, a thousand percent. Like, yeah. Interesting, interesting conversations. And like we talked about, I mean, w- the nice thing is, is when we're talking to clients, really, it's about preventative medicine. I mean, this mm-hmm. is a, this is obviously a preventable disease, um, you know, making sure our, our cats are, and dogs are getting vaccinated appropriately, um, you know, following the recommendations. So making sure that we get it as kittens and then the follow-up after that, just to make sure that we're, you know, we don't have those maternal antibodies that are, <clears throat> that are going to be messing with vaccination. Um, yeah. cause again, it's, it's preventable, which, you know, if you have a cat or a dog, if you could prevent the disease, why wouldn't you do it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think the, the other thing about this too, when we're talking to clients, survival rates, um, has been reported to between 20 to 51% of these in hospital patients. Um, Versus like comparison, like in dogs tends to be 90% of hospitalized patients. Um, We've all kind of seen that. So it really just depends on how quickly we can jump on these kids. I think that's the bummer though, too, between dogs and cats is cats don't act sick until they're dying. Right. They like to hide things. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think too, when we're, if, if we do have a patient that survives in hospitalization, um, through hospitalization, right? Just remind clients that it does shed potentially up to six weeks in the feces. Um, and so they need to be very careful about, you know, litter boxes. And ideally these cats aren't going outside because they could be shedding it in the environment. And again, it survives a long time in the environment and we can be infecting other unvaccinated animals. So, Um, you know, and that might be difficult for some of these owners that have an indoor outdoor cat. And so, yeah, that is a conversation to have at home. And then my tip of the week is going to be hygiene, practice good hygiene. Like we should be washing (laughs) our hands in between every patient anyway. Right. Like, but like, especially when it comes to these like immune compromised, young, small kittens that we just assume are failure to thrives. We really need to be taking special care to like be washing our hands in between patients and, Mm -hmm. and maybe wearing a gown and and things like, well, we should be wearing a gown, but yes. It's It's the tip of the week. Aging. Yep. And vaccinating. Having those conversations with clients too. Same as last week. Have you seen an older patient with feline pan leukopenia? That's a good one. I'm also going to say, what other diseases do you want us talking about? Like, I'm going to start saying that every week. What other diseases do you want to start hearing from? So you can email us. So if anybody has any GI specific (laughs) topics. The GI. Yeah. Yeah. All right, friends. And now for the question of the week. A commitment to learning. I hope everybody learned something between last week and this week <laughs> and uh, enjoyed our kind of dive into GP. <laughs> like, right. I was like, GP and ER? <laughs> funny because we're like, vaccinate, talk about vaccinating, but I have a really hard time remembering the vaccine, like the kitten vaccine series and puppy vaccine series since I've gotten out of GP. Right. I'm no kidding. 
I know. We, I know it's like three to four weeks. I just like. Right. <laughs> there's I something about that. 16 weeks. I, you know, right now there's people that are like yelling at us right now. <laughs> oh, a thousand percent. And full blown, just go ahead and let me know. Cause like, if you even want to email me the kitten and puppy vaccine series, of like when it starts <laughs> and when you're supposed to be finished with it, I'm, I'm game. <laughs> like, oh my God. That's so funny. <laughs> I just I look at the UC Davis website. I'm like, what is your recommendation for vaccines? Great. <laughs> I would also like an update on like heartwarming flea preventions that are available now. Oh my like, God. Seriously. I, I when clients just like ask me their, or tell me like what they're on and they like say some word and I'm like, is that, what is that? And they're like, that's the heartworm medication. I'm like, okay. I've recently learned that there's Semperica and Semperica Trio. And I didn't know that, like, I thought when people said they were on Semperica, they just meant they were on Semperica Trio. And so like, oh man, boy. Yeah. (sighs) (laughs) Uh, Send us some emails. Let us know some topics you want to hear. And we will talk at y'all next week. Bye, Bye, everybody. (laughs) I've recently learned that there's Semperica and Semperica Trio, and I didn't know that, like, I thought when people said they were on Semperica, they just meant they were on Semperica Trio. And so, like... Oh, man. Boy. Yeah. Uh, send us some emails let us know some topics you want to hear and we will talk with y'all next week (laughs) bye Bye, everybody (laughs) thank you for listening to today's episode of the internal medicine for vet techs podcast if you like what you heard we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode want to give us a boost Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.